0: Well, I'd like to put my voice in to welcome you as well to Grace Point Church. We're thankful for our worship team in leading us into worship. My name is Tim Rogers. I'm one of the pastors here along with Joel Buffington. And uh, it's our privilege this morning to have um, a guest speaker with us, someone who's a, a guest in terms of speaking, but a family member in terms of his relationship to Grace Point Church. Chuck Holt is the executive director of the Factory Ministries, a ministry that we've partnered with since the very beginning of its ministry, boy, now... I'm reaching probably almost 20 years ago now that the Factory Ministries was begun. Chuck has been the director now for about seven years. Um, he and his family worship here. We're grateful to have them as friends and as, as members of Grace Point. Uh, and Chuck has come this morning. Uh, we arranged this several months ago that chuck would be speaking this morning not aware of the unique events in his life over the past couple of weeks of which i'm sure he'll allude to this morning so chuck we're grateful for you and for our friendship and glad to have you sharing with us this morning good morning
1: always wondered how tim could have this so low and see the words I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, nervous, not so much because I'm standing in front of you because we're family, but just nervous because uh, I always seem to have to speak on something that God is still working on in my life. So it's hard to come across as an authority on something you're, you're in the middle of learning. Um, and I also feel, you know, maybe a little, I don't know what the right word is, but you know, I'm I'm here before you, and I'm gonna share a lot about my dad. And I'm thinking, well, nobody else gets to do that when they lose a loved one, get up and preach a sermon about it. It just doesn't seem fair. But um, God and His sovereignty had my name on the slot for this morning and uh, what I've gone through, and and I hope to share with you this morning. If you have ever lost a loved one or you've gone through a very difficult crisis, then I hope the things that that I'm going to share with you are things that. You may have learned or, or you may need to continue to be reminded of, and it brings you some comfort. No doubt some of you will reminisce about the loss of a loved one in that process, and uh, it'll flood back memories. And I hope that, that God's Spirit can comfort you and, and just really, um, really continue to, to teach you. And for, for the rest of us, I, just, I hope that there's something I have to say will we'll really encourage you in your walk with God. Uh, I titled my sermon, um, What My Dad's Death Has Taught Me About Life, and uh, taught me about, about God and my relation with God, and therefore, how I, how I should live my life. Um, <clears throat> my, my dad was diagnosed uh, with pancreatic cancer and was told he had two weeks to two months to live and was told to go home and be with family, so we brought him home. And three weeks later to the day, he passed away, and for two of those weeks, um, we, we were able to have him at home and take care of him and, and share a lot of memories and talk about a lot of things and, and have him get very philosophical on me and challenge me about what's important in life. It's amazing how, when you're days away from leaving this earth and entering heaven, how your perspective changes. And I would say to my dad, it's a shame we can't bottle this up in a pill and make everybody take it every morning. Just call, call it a perspective pill. And then the last week, uh, we were unable to take care of him ourselves and took him in. Um, the uh, hospice center. And um, it, was, it was, you know, I've gone through a lot of things in my life that were difficult for me. Certainly right up there with my son, uh, going to prison was probably the most difficult thing. But for me, this by far was the most painful, difficult thing I ever had to deal with. You see, he was, he was more than a dad to me. And most of you know the story, and I won't get into it much. But when I was 13 years old, he was a math teacher that reached out and grabbed a hold of my life and decided to care about me and took me in and raised me since then. And if it wasn't for his discipleship, if it wasn't for his investment into my life, um, I, I no doubtly would not be where I am today. And, and so I've, I've lived my life, obviously, to bring glory to God, but also to bring honor to my dad. And when I decided to go into ministry when I was in high school, I said to God, if I can do for just one person what my dad has done for me, then my life would have been worth it. And uh, just to the investment that he made as a single man, the commitment he made, the sacrifice he made to, um, to give me not only, you know, to give me not only life, but also a spiritual life and a hope has just profoundly impacted me. And, and to have all of that kind of end, not end, but to have his life end was, was very difficult um, so thank you for allowing me to share with you. Maybe it's, maybe it's selfish. Uh, I hope that there's something that I'm going to say that, that will uh, impact you and help you. Um, for me, it's, it's very hard to narrow down what my dad's death is teaching me. Um, it's, it's transformed how I think about everything. You know, I put on Facebook a week or so ago that uh, my dad's death, it was like a battle that was taking place, a battle of thoughts taking place um, between my head and my heart. And both were speaking the truth, but I didn't want to hear either one of them. And so as, begin, as, I, as I have thought about this and thought about it, and it's three themes kept coming back to me over and over again. Three things that I think God was saying, Chuck, I need you to learn these. I need you to be reminded of these. I need you to focus on these. So I tried to put them down um, <clears throat> in the a, in a form of a, of a message, in the form of a, of a challenge, a uh, challenge to you, but really it's, it's a what I think is God's challenge to me. Um, <clears throat> the first one is: is this is is uh, the grace of God causes God to see us in a more complete and healthy way than we see ourselves. Let me say that again because it's it's kind of a long one. The grace of God causes us to see causes God to see us in a more complete and healthy way than we see ourselves. We know that one of the strategies of the evil one is to cause us to think about all the things that we've done wrong. You know, and it caused us to not lay hold of First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in our lives, in your life, my guess is, if you're, a, if you're a believer and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my guess is there's been times when the devil has tried to beat you up to make you think about how you're falling short. Even when you've confessed your sin to God, he's been there to say, you think God's going to forgive you for that? Well, you didn't really mean it. Or look at you, you know. And he does that. And what I experienced with my dad in the the days before he left this earth was an intense battle with spiritual warfare. You see, my dad had the honor, and I'll talk about this in a second, of having hundreds of people share with him how he changed their life. But at night, when I was still on the edge of his bed, and he was weak, and, and we would talk, And he would say to me, I just hope Jesus is pleased with me. I just hope God feels the way everybody else does. And at that moment, in those very precious moments, I was able to become my dad's pastor and to encourage him, to to remind him of what Christ has done for us on the cross. See, he didn't doubt his salvation. He didn't doubt that he was going to heaven. But what he struggled with is, I wonder if I did enough good things I wonder if the good things outweighed the bad things. And at first it bothered me that he thought that way, but then I realized, well, why wouldn't the devil do that? He does that to us all the time. Why would he stop days before somebody's about to enter into heaven? And it caused me just to think about the grace of God. Um, the grace of God is something we use that word a lot. We sing about it a lot. Um, and we, we, know, we know that salvation is through grace, right? Ephesians 3, 8, 9. We know that God promised to give us grace when we go through trials. We know that God's grace allows us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And we know that we are to grow in grace. But this past couple weeks, I experienced something about grace that is hard for me to put in words. I want to show you just a little video clip um, about grace taken from... Um, Dove. Dove Soap. Let's watch this.
2: I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011.
0: I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me.
2: Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, Hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? I kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave don't see him.
0: All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe.
2: Today, I'm going to ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier. And I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin.
1: She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes. Very nice blue eyes.
2: So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So Yeah, that's...
0: Yeah.
2: We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like.
1: So I was working on this, this talk and uh, man, you know, when you're focused on something, your wife wants to show you something. And Claudia's like, you got to see this video. So I'm like, okay. So I stop what I'm doing, and I watch the video, and I go back to rate what I'm doing. And uh, as I continue to work on this, I'm like, God, I don't know how to explain what I want to say. And God was like, I just showed you a pretty good video you should show, you know. <clears throat> because that, that, now, you know, I'm going to not leave you there at that video, but that video is a good example of grace. The people saw themselves at, in a worse condition than the way other people saw them. And that impacted their whole life, everything about what they do. And, you know, one of the devil's greatest tricks is to get us to not see ourselves as God sees us. To not see ourselves in a state of forgiveness. In a state of of his righteousness and his holiness. And to cause us to see ourselves in in a purely sinful state. And the beautiful thing about what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross and the beautiful thing about the work of the Holy Spirit is that we can stand before God totally right. because of what we've done, because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's grace. And God longs for us to see ourselves as he sees us. And he longs for us to, to live in that kind of freedom and live in that kind of wholeness. And I don't understand why, but, my, but, my, but God allowed my dad to have a funeral of what I call full spiritual honors. You heard of military honors? He had a full spiritual honors. God allowed him to hear from hundreds, hundreds of people to share how he impacted their life. And at first he was like, I don't know who they're talking about, you know. And then he was, it was very humbling for him, but it was also very humbling for his mother and for Claudia and I and our family to hear this, because you see, I had no idea. And and I would think, and my dad and I would talk about this, and I would think, why is God allowing him to hear so much about what how he's impacted people's life? You see, my dad wasn't, at least from my perspective, he wasn't a Billy Graham. He wasn't a Mother Teresa. He wasn't Solomon, although he was wise. You know, he wasn't Paul. He was just Tim Magnuson, the math teacher. And there wasn't, in some respects, anything really extraordinary about him. He never woke up and thought, I want to change the world today. That was never my dad. He always felt inadequate for the task. But every day he woke up and said, God, who would you like me to impact today? And uh, knowing that, I believe that the enemy wanted to get his focus off that and get him to think that when God, when you get before God, yes, you're going to heaven, but you're going to get some corner where nobody's going to know you're there because God is not pleased with you. And my dad started to recall all the things in his life that he hadn't done right. He started to recall the times when he had let God down. And, and my dad needed to experience in those moments the grace of God. A grace that says, I'm not going to focus on those things. I'm focusing on what you did. In fact, my dad so badly said to me, he said, I can't wait to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I said, Dad, you'll hear it because you're hearing it now. He's saying it to you all day long. There's not a day that goes by that I don't hear from somebody that wants to share with me how my dad has impacted their life. And uh, I'm just, the the thought of the grace of God and how God has has chosen to honor my dad and what would look like, from a human perspective, a man that wasn't worthy of that kind of honor. It causes me to think about how I look, not just at myself, but how I look at other people. You see, i got to be honest with you. I struggle with offering grace to people. I like it when they offer to me but I'm not so good at offering other people. I'm kind of like, you know, Paul. You know the passage in Scripture where Paul and Silas were having a little argument over John Mark because John Mark had failed. And Paul's like, yep, oh, sorry. And uh, was it Paul and Barnabas? Yeah. And Barnabas was like, well, let's give him another chance. I'm kind of like Paul. I'm like, you know, you know, if you fail me, if you let me down, I might write you off. I'm just sharing with you my heart. And God has been teaching me that, hey, if God, if God is willing to extend to us that kind of grace, that he sees us not as we see ourselves, but he sees us complete in Christ, then shouldn't I offer that to other people? Shouldn't I be willing to see people not as I see them, but as God sees them? Think about that for a second. Think about somebody you can put in your mind right now that maybe bothers you. Maybe they've let you down. Maybe they've disappointed you. And maybe you've written them off. Or maybe you've written them off on the inside and not on the outside. And I've been, I've been struck by a verse, and if you would turn over there with me, I'd like us to look at a verse um, in 1 Peter chapter 4. Because I cannot experience, I cannot watch God's grace in the life of my dad without it changing the way I view grace. In First Peter chapter 4. verse 7 says this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, that's crazy. What this verse is saying is that God is going to use me to administer his grace. And so I am to see people as God sees them. And see, I don't have a problem if somebody doesn't have a heart for God, like somebody is not a believer, they've never given their life over to Christ. I'm okay with that. I have the greatest patience in the world. But when somebody should know better from my perspective and they don't do what I think they should do because they're a child of God, then, then I don't offer them grace. And God is saying, Chuck, you've got to change that. And if I'm going to glorify God in my life and honor my dad by my life, I have to start to administer God's grace as God would want me to do that. Think about that. Whatever, whatever wherever God has placed you, he wants to use you to administer his grace to people around you. That that should change the way I live my life. God chose to show grace to my dad. He saw something in him, and he wanted to honor him with that. Even while the enemy was trying to discourage him, God was flooding him with, with honor. Because God sees us not as the enemy does. And God wants me to see people the same way. God wants you to see people the same way. And we have to see people as Jesus sees them. And that's something that I know that God wants me to change in my life, and and perhaps you as well. Besides wrestling with the grace of God and how it causes God to see us in a more complete and healthy way than we see ourselves, the other thing is I've been reminded that the Great Commission is not rocket science, but simple mathematics. My dad's faith was quiet in many respects, but it was also bold a very bold faith, and many others. He was not weighed down by formulas, approaches, experiments, new evangelism fads, 10-step approaches, or any latest marketing tool. My dad used a simple mathematical equation to fulfill his mandate from God, to believe in people's journey, and to relationally point them to Christ. You may have gone through studies like this, and I'm not knocking them. I'm not knocking them. I've been trained in most of them. And, uh, as I think through my dad's life, I think, you know, and my dad had something against those things. He had, he had a problem with a latest, you know, evangelism tool that all of a sudden became a bestseller, and everybody had to go out there and use that tool, and they were going to be able to effectively reach people for Christ. My dad was bothered by them. And I, and I realized as I thought through his death, you know, it wasn't rocket science. What my dad did and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people's lives he changed, it was simple. A very simple mathematical tool. And of course, my dad, maybe I said this, was a math math teacher for 44 years. And here's the simple math equation. Your journey plus my support equals God's love and help to you. It's almost so simple that it's almost... When I first wrote it down, I'm thinking, ah, I've got to re-erase that. It's got to be deeper. i got to have, you know, if it's mathematical, I've got to have parentheses and square root, you know, and, and I've got them all double, double, whatever. Not, my dad would be disappointed. I can't think of the right terms right now. What <clears throat> do um, well, you put a two next to it? What does that do to it? Yes, okay, so I was right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but let me read it to you again, because it is simple, and, and it seems like it should be more complex, but listen to this. Somebody's journey... Plus, your support in their life equals God's love and help to them. And so, my dad got up every morning. I I joked to to people since my dad's passing. I said, You know, I think my dad, God wanted to call my dad in a full time ministry, but he would not have felt adequate and he would have declined it. So, he disguised him as a math teacher. My dad, so many people said about my dad, he taught me math, but more important, he taught, importantly, he taught me life. Students, time after time, have called me, have driven to see me to say, your dad was the first teacher that really, truly cared about me. I had a guy call me, and wants to meet with me, and he's in New York City, he's the CEO of a big organization, and he said, in 1970, your dad changed my life, and I'd like to share it with you sometime. Now, how did my dad do that? How does God want us to do that? Let's open up to Matthew 28. Let's look at the Great Commission. I have traveled all over the country to certain places to learn how to effectively share the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. I have learned many, many tools and many of you have as well. And... Uh, Every time I would come back from this conference, or this conference, this conference, my dad would be frustrated with me. Because, you know, I would say, Dad, listen, we got a, we got a new mission statement now. We're going to exist to," And he would always be frustrated because he would always say to me, Chuck, it's simpler than that. And let's look at Matthew chapter 28. We know this as the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them, verse, verse 16. To go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And surely I will always be with you to the very end of the age. When Jesus left this earth, he basically said to his disciples, Now go and do what I did. Go and invest in other people's journey. Scriptures tell us that Jesus didn't come to judge, but to save the world. And Jesus walked through his life impacting people as he went along. He didn't have a 10-step approach. It's funny because I have in my Bible, the the, the woman at the well, I have six, six steps, six steps listed. You know, so I've taken Jesus' approach of just believing in this woman's journey and I've turned it into six steps, you know. And uh, as I reflect on my dad's life, it's really simple. Believing that everybody's story matters. Everybody's journey matters. And being willing, no matter what the cost or the consequence, to invest in other people. So the question I have to ask myself and I'm gonna ask you is, in your life, in my life, is it really the Great Commission or is it really the great omission. is: see, do you wake up, do I wake up every day and say, God, who, as I go throughout this day, whose life do you want me to impact? Who am I going to administer grace to as you would want me to? So at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of your year, how do you evaluate whether you've been successful? Has it been going through the to-do list and saying, wow, it was a good Saturday. I got through 10 points on my to-do list. It was a good week at work. I got through everything my supervisor wanted me to. It was a great week at work because I was able to bring in the money I needed to bring in. Things are going well in my house because we were able to fix this and remodel that and do this. And None of those things are bad. Just like there's nothing wrong with teaching math. My dad woke up every day to teach math. But he used mathematics to change people's life." And God wants each one of us to use the context where he has placed us to change somebody else's life. It's not an option. It's not something I can say, well, today I'd like to help somebody, but tomorrow I'm going to take it off. And I want to encourage you, when you think about it, it's easy to think, well, let somebody else do it. All I can do, all I can do is I can give funds to it because I can't get around very easy, so I'm just going to give money. Well, I can't give money, but I'll go and do this. And Grace Point Church has been wonderful about reaching out to this community. But I would encourage you to never get complacent and say, well, okay, I've done my part, or I'm doing my part, and use that as an excuse for what God might be calling you to do. It was very simple. When he left his disciples, he said, now you go and do what I've done. Go and invest in other people's lives and believe in their journey. And I'm going to tell you, you know, and you know there's some of you that lost loved ones. At your, their deathbed, as they are one foot on this earth, as my dad would call them, one foot on this earth and one foot in heaven, nobody, nobody has said to my dad, I wished you had done this or done that or done that. Everybody said, thank you for investing in my life. And so one of the things that God is teaching me is it's not that complicated. And when I make it complicated, then I get an excuse not to do it. But it's very simple. And then the third thing is um, grief is Okay. And actually, a very spiritual exercise. I knew it was going to happen because I've walked a lot of people through this, I've never gone through it myself, but I walked people through it. And I know that sometimes people mean well and they say things that they probably shouldn't have said. So I expected it. And when I heard it, I was okay with it because I know that there was no malice intent. But one thing that I've come away from is sometimes I think Christians think that grieving is wrong. That it's, that it's sinful, that if we really had faith and trust in God, we wouldn't grieve. But here's what I've learned over the last couple of weeks. It's not a sin for me to wish my dad is here with me. That going back to work so that I can forget about what happened to my dad may not be a very healthy way to process grief. That three days into my dad's passing, does it, and, I'm, and I don't know which way is up, doesn't mean that I need to go see a counselor. You know, and, and more and more and more of things that were said that meant well. And I wasn't upset by them, but it caused me to think, why are we afraid of grief? And the scriptures talk about mourning. The scriptures talk about grieving. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it, it says that we are not to grieve as the world does, but we're to grieve as people who have hope. And so how do you grieve the loss of someone or whatever crisis in your life, but also massage that in the context of hope? And then I was drawn to to Paul where he says, I want to know Christ in Philippians 2, and I want to know, I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to somehow know him more. I'm butchering it up. Let's read it together. Philippians. Let's go to Philippians quickly. Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 3. Verse 10. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. One of the former pastors of a church that I was at, in eight days, he lost his son in a tragic car accident, and he lost his wife to pancreatic cancer, and uh, just in- incredible, and I had the, the honor to do both of those funeral services, and, and the second time, I thought, what do, you, what do you say the second time, eight days later, what do you say it's the same people, same family? And sometime after that, we got together. And he said to me, as I was talking about it and how difficult it must have been, he said to me this. He said, Chuck, I never knew intimacy with God until that moment. I've never known it before, and I've never known it since. But when I was going through that grief, God was closer to me than I've ever, ever experienced him, and I wouldn't trade that for the world. And I hold on to that. And so in the midst of my grieving, I say, I want to embrace it. Because I want to know Christ, I want to know God, I want to understand more what it means to be a follower of His. And uh, and grief, grief is okay. In fact, for me, grief is becoming a very spiritual journey. Um, so, some questions that I would like us to ask our church is: uh, Are we a church that allows for grieving? They might be rhetorical. Or are we a church that that welcomes grieving? Or are we a church that says when grieving doesn't happen, then there's something wrong? And I would encourage you to come alongside people that are grieving and let them grieve. And know that it's not so much about giving up on God as an opportunity to run to God. So that's what, those are the three things that God has been teaching me That hopefully it's beneficial to you. One is that the grace of God causes him to see me differently than I see myself. And I'm called to administer that same kind of grace to other people. And I fall I fall short in that. The second one is that the Great Commission is not rocket science, but just simple mathematics. And I have no excuse for not being able to understand it because I'm called to do it every day. And then three, grief is okay. In fact, it can be very spiritual. And uh, I, want, I want to experience God in ways I never did before. And if that causes, if I need grief to do that, then I welcome it. It's interesting, I was reflecting last night and I had told God, and in fact, I preached this in the church, and I told God that I want to know him so badly that I'm willing to go through cancer if that's what it takes. Now I was talking about myself. I was talking about, you know, and God didn't put me through it, but he put my dad through it and took him home. And last night I was like, wow, okay, God, I told you I would go through that if it meant I could know you in a deeper way. So let's not waste this, if I can say that. Let me know you in a deeper way. And uh, so I want to thank you um, for your prayers. I want to thank you for the meals. Thank you for the cards. But we have, we have kept homework in business, <laughs> uh, hundreds, hundreds of cards, um, and uh, thank you for journeying with me. It means, it means an awful lot. Um, I don't know how people do it without a church and without the body of Christ alongside them. Um, I hope that, as I've shared this morning, it causes you to think about these three things in your life, um, and uh, there's so much that God has us to do and so much God has us to learn, and when you're faced with death, it causes you to look at things differently. And uh, I would appreciate your prayers, but also would ask you. I put this outline on Facebook, so maybe somebody already read it and you, you tuned out. I would encourage you to think through these three things with me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us and, and caring so deeply for us. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending a math teacher who followed you and was obedient, even though everybody said I'm not to told him not to, and took me in and changed my life. God, and I pray that um, each one of us would live our lives today with the expectation that you want to use us to administer grace, with the realization that telling people about you and representing you is not difficult. We just need to obey. And realizing that it's okay to grieve, and that's a time for us to come alongside and help people as they come to better grips of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.